morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Welcome as well to those joining us online and down in our F3 service. Uh, I hope everyone uh, enjoyed their extra hour uh, of sleep. Maybe there was a skip in your step this morning uh, coming in. Some of you may be, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, maybe we can leave uh, with a skip in our step. There's some exciting things uh, to talk about here. So communion uh, and prayer, and now some, some teaching and hopefully some fellowship. Why are we doing all this in this room right now? I hesitate to, to remind you this, but you could be anywhere doing anything else right now. NFL countdown is going to be starting pretty soon. Maybe you could have slept in even further. You could watch the news to get the blood flowing. Why, why do we do what we do here? And some of you might be listening to those examples and you're thinking, well, we, we've actually tried all that uh, with our Sunday mornings. Uh, we're, we're giving church a go here. That's great. Others of us, maybe we've been doing this our whole lives. Either way, I want to ask you this morning, why? We've had the opportunity already to acknowledge uh, International Day of Prayer and, and hear from several people. We've heard from Rebecca in northern Nigeria. See, there's a lot of, there's a lot of players in this thing. And I'm not just talking about the, the order of events of, a, of an FBC service, but there's a lot more than meets the eye in God's church. One of the things that can stir us up to that reality is the power of a narrative. There, there's no story quite like a true story. Take that video from Nigeria, uh, for example. Growing up as a kid, I'd, I'd have, uh, occasionally I'd come up here and sit with my parents uh, in big church, and whenever they would play a video, the lights would go down and I was like, yes, uh, what do Lucans and the gang have for us today, right? Nothing, nothing captures the attention of a kid like a screen. So uh, the lights go down, I'm, I'm wondering what it's going to be. And maybe it was the, the, the cinematic enthusiast in me that, that was gripped to the screen. Maybe I was just excited because it meant Mark Carey's sermon would be shorter. Either way, uh, there was something about a recorded account of an unfolding narrative. A narrative that ends up proclaiming one message that, that was so exciting uh, to participate in. I'm talking gripping events that happen upon relatable people often when much is at stake. There's no story quite like a true story. What we're about to read this morning isn't even the first story we've heard so far, but it's the great one. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at the end uh, of Acts chapter 2. Luke is, uh, the author Luke is about to convey to us uh, a descriptive life update of what the local church was up to in between two very powerful sermons, Acts 2 and 3. And what reads as a, a descriptive passage of what happened then uh, actually ends up affirming and laying the groundwork for the, the question, why? Why in the world do we do what we do in here? The, the communion, the prayer, the teaching, the fellowship. How do we arrive at that? Last week, Mark unpacked uh, the sermon that, that brings us to the end of chapter 2. Uh, but, but here's a taste of where we're at here. Look at verse 37. Acts 2, 37 says this. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? So the response was significant and immediate. We unpacked that sermon and all the crazy stuff that was in it in detail. Acts chapter 2 
is a narrative that sells itself. The things that happen in here are, are absolutely nuts in, in the coolest of ways. And what happens is there's a, a fellowship of believers that gets to respond to that sermon. And that's not just a, a, a corporate response in the moment. It's not some sort of altar call, but rather a, a, a personal appropriation of what's been said, ultimately based on who Jesus is. Let's read together, uh, starting in verse 42 uh, through 47. It says this, Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property, their possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You guys, we are in it now. Acts chapter 2, okay? The, the sermon before, this, this mic drop of sorts uh, that the Holy Spirit uses to stir up the early church to love and good deeds. Here at Fellowship, we're looking at the book of Acts uh, through an overarching narrative, uh, the triumph of the gospel. The reason we're doing that is because Jesus and his story involves the Spirit and us. Clearly, it involved them at the time. But what this passage does, uh, it describes participation fueled by anticipation. Participation fueled by anticipation. How do we know this? Well, the, the true story so far. You see, the narrative of Acts 1 and 2 describes two things, namely the people and Pentecost. Uh, for example, here's a couple contextual passages starting in Acts 1, 7 through 8. Uh, we're familiar with this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. Well, what's happening there? The, the disciples, the followers of Jesus ask him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What that means is people interested in the final stages of God's plan end up being a pivotal part of what he's going to do to get there. Be his witnesses. Participate in God's plan as mere people. They seek to be enlightened and instead were enlisted. What else has led us here? Look at Acts chapter 2, 5 through 6, earlier in this chapter. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, a lot of crazy things happening, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So we have this, this Pentecost, one of many Jewish traditions. And this, this feast, this celebration, it has always brought swells of people to this area. Jerusalem would grow to eight, nine, ten times its size, from about 100,000 people up to 900,000 people. Except this time, 
People weren't leaving. It was a wild time to participate. Why? Was this not just a a one-off event? Why participate to the degree of what we just read in Acts 2? Okay, be his witnesses, I guess. But to what end? What does that actually look like? Well, where does God come into this? We know there was a a supposed sense of urgency of what God was going to be uh, doing because in their minds, Christ was, was going to come back soon. Mark unpacked that sermon last week, and we talked about the prophecies coming out of Joel and and what God is going to continue to do, the things he has yet to do. There was an anticipation of that at this time, a spiritual urgency. Furthermore, that spirit is off to the races now, the Holy Spirit, enabling all of this to occur. With that being said, uh, there, there are some other scriptures that, that clue us into a, a goal in mind. Participation fueled by anticipation of what? Here are a couple verses uh, to keep in mind. This is coming out of Revelation chapter 1. This is the last book of the Bible. It says this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. That's a totally different book, written by a totally different author, but it's still serving the same narrative, and it says what? God is coming back. Welcome to the meantime. Also recorded in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, referring to something Christ has already done, will appear a second time. And it says, for salvation or rescue, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. What does that mean? Well, he's coming back, except this time it's going to be different. Participation fueled by anticipation. For the people in Acts 2, belonging to the local church meant everything. This is the the period of time, just a couple verses, not devoted to the sermons and the new teaching content of the Holy Spirit era, but it's the it's the in-between. It's the 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 time lapse in the middle of the movie, right? The the music montage where you can see how the masses are responding to something that has changed. Specifically, uh, four elements stand out in this passage we read, 42 through 47. Your sermon notes reflect this, uh, but primarily the early church was committed. Look at the first half of the first two verses. It says this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. This was, this was commitment to, to communion and prayer, this, this God focus of communion and prayer, and a commitment to teaching and fellowship, others' focus. So why others? What, what does somebody else have to do between me and my relationship with the Lord? Well, we can thank the Spirit for that. We have been positively implicated in the way God works because of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're temples for teaching there's a beautiful both and here in this passage. And what originally might look like a, a four-point passage, the, the teaching, the fellowship, the communion, the prayer, you could teach and preach on those four things without a doubt. 
But what's happening here is two components of a God-honoring lifestyle, the vertical and the horizontal. That's how it's separated in the original Greek, the communion and prayer, and then the teaching and fellowship. That fellowship is a, a vibrant and integral part of it. This true story, an unfolding narrative of excitement, is emphasizing not just interacting with God, but bonding with others as a natural consequence of what belonging to that God means. A true story of fellowship. What does it look like to fellowship well? Uh, 13 years ago, on my 13th birthday, uh, I noticed uh, my dad was up to something. Okay? So it was evening uh, after all the, the birthday festivities ended, and the, the doorbell rang. Uh, when it had just absolutely no business doing so. And so I, I'm peeking out my top window, and, and standing there on the front porch is uh, John Avery, my neighbor and youth pastor. Uh, listen, there are, there are many ways to strike fear into the heart of a teenager. John Avery on your porch is one of them. So my eyes get all wide, and I'm thinking to myself, whatever it is, I did not do it, okay? And so he's, he's talking to my dad on the porch. Some sort of shady transaction goes down, and uh, before long, uh, Barry comes back in. My daddy, he calls me downstairs. So I'm already at work. I'm forming my insincere apology in my mind, right? Like, I'm sorry my friends and I weren't thinking. I don't know. I couldn't think of what it is I might have done. Why is John Avery here ruining my birthday of all days? But it ends up just being me and my dad there in the living room, and in, in the middle of the table is a, a golden box uh, inscribed uh, with the phrase, the Lord of the Rings, on it. And in this box, some of you may remember, uh, was what's called a DVD collection. You remember those things? Uh, DVDs were these circles. You spin them really fast. They showed you stuff. So there was this, this movie collection, uh, this Lord of the Rings thing. And my dad said, uh, let's watch this together. You see, I had heard about this, this Lord of the Rings franchise. I knew it was a, a pretty big deal to have seen it. I had been wanting to watch it uh, for a while, 2000s kid, right? Wanting to watch Lord of the Rings. So, coolest birthday ever, okay? Barry gives me Cocoa Puffs. He lets me stay up late to watch Fellowship of the Ring. There's nothing quite like a narrative, I tell you what. The, the world building, the, the character assembling of this famous literary work on screen. I mean, it was astounding. This narrative had a grip, an ensemble of characters that had to wrestle with good and evil in a pretty clear way for a 13-year-old guided by his father to understand and appreciate. And in this movie, The Fellowship, they were driven to that fellowship uh, given the circumstance of the darkening world around them. I mean, talk about commitment to this thing. What happened was a supernatural reality brought together groups of people that experienced one-mindedness in a way they never previously thought possible. It would take about three and a half hours to unpack that whole story. That's obviously not why we're here. But I am here to remind you that fellowship wasn't some new idea. Yeah, the fellowship in that story gripped the masses. It became a huge part of entertainment culture. But there's no story quite like a true story. In Jerusalem... There was fellowship like there had never been before. Again, all thanks to uh, the Spirit of God. And the cool part about that, the cool part about teaching through this passage, is there wasn't just fellowship as believers in, in some sort of holy huddle. Hooray, we all have Jesus. Let's get closer and closer together to do spiritual things. 
There was also uh, specific things worth doing in their community, the, the life on life of the body. Meaning also that the early church was committed, yeah, but the early church was communal. The early church was communal. Look at the second half of the first two verses. They were continually devoting themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. This supports the notion that the church wasn't just committed to having these religious experiences, say, once a week, as an example, but it was also communal, together, communal specifically in life and in learning. We've mentioned that vertical and horizontal. They were communal over meals, Uh, specifically the breaking of bread together, and over content, the teaching. They were a part of each other's lives. They were all receiving and experiencing the same thing. Jesus, uh, earlier in the New Testament gospel accounts, actually lays the framework for this idea of the breaking of bread together in that he does have a last supper uh, of spiritual consequence with the people who are following him, but he also seizes opportunities for breakfast on a beach with somebody who has a couple questions. The the breaking of bread in Jesus' name has always left an impact. When believers in Jesus Christ share food together, and and that sharing of food, by the way, that's, that's always signified fellowship. That's true across so many cultures. There's a cultural value of, of eating and sharing a meal together. But when believers in Jesus Christ do it, there is a unique form of fellowship and unity, the, the, the breaking of bread and sharing of food. Uh, a few years back, I was part of FBC's internship program. It was uh, kind of overseen by Pastor Don Den Hartog. And so Don takes me out to lunch uh, to talk about all the books he made me read. And so I'm all ready to go. Uh, it's, it's a Den Hartog, so it's going to be hard and difficult. And we end up uh, talking about the theology of food for 45 minutes. Doesn't that just sound like a Den Hartog thing? The theology of food. And so I'm, I'm this young buck listening to Don talk about the spiritual significance of food used in the Bible, the analogies, the illustrations, the endless opportunities for the meals, what Jesus did with them, what he liked to do with them. There's a, a theology of food sprinkled throughout the Bible. We don't have time to unpack all that. I don't think I'm qualified to do it. But what I learned at the time is, A, you never know what you're going to get when you end up in a walk zone with a Den Hartog. And there are so many things sprinkled throughout Scripture that were used to benefit uh, the kingdom. Similar to the breaking of bread, uh, signifying eating together, the notion of prayer is important. And our text for this morning doesn't say that this prayer was only corporate Jewish prayer. It doesn't say it only refers to small group or individual prayer within the home. All it says is prayer matters. The church of God prayed. That's the description. So we start to appreciate like when the Bible later says things like pray without ceasing, it's not as if there aren't multiple biblical accounts throughout scripture that that tell us what that mentality could look like. The early church was committed and communal. The passage continues, and we see not only that, but the early church was collaborative. Look at verses 44 and 45. 
And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. What is that saying? Well, the church was communal in regards to spiritual matters, but also collaborative in regards to practical needs. They met each other where they were at. Several years back, I, I took uh, one last ride uh, in my family's 1989 Ford Ranger truck. Uh, I learned how to drive manual on that thing, meaning I could now drive any vehicle on the planet after that piece of junk. Uh, but this old truck, man, I'm telling you, the, the truck my parents got engaged in, uh, it ended up taking one last ride uh, to be gifted to a guy from our church uh, that was starting a, a new business venture that required a truck uh, to carry equipment. And so I'm, this was years and years ago. So I'm listening to my family explain to me why we're doing this. I, I was trying to understand why a truck with more sentimental than practical value was being given away. And upon talking with my parents, it became clear to me that for however much longer that truck was going to last, it could benefit another a member of the kingdom of God. It was, it was eye-opening for me to, to see my, my parents do that. So, obviously, I'm tagging along on this whole ordeal. So, uh, we go give him this truck, okay? And now my, my dad and I are standing there in the middle of White Post, Virginia, watching the truck set off into the sunset uh, to its first job site. We're waiting for mom to pick us up. We're standing there without a vehicle. And I remember thinking to myself, so this is what it means to belong to Fellowship Bible Church? I, I had to wrap my, my brain around it. What am I saying? Why share that? I'm not saying go home and give away all your possessions. This is a description in Acts 2. But would we be willing to do that if God stirred in our hearts? If God wanted us to do it, there's some stirring in Acts 2. Would we, would we do it? Would we be collaborative? You see, it, it's a pleasure this morning to tell you that walking into this building today for church, it means so much more for you than you even realize. We're not living for the weekend. We're living for the week. We can be a part of each other's lives. That's an incredible and unique thing about the church of Jesus Christ. And that's not because of us. That's not because of how and why we do all this. It's because of a God who acts through his spirit. Last point from the passage here. Uh, the early church was contagious. The early church was contagious. I mean, talk about ground zero of something that is going to spread in the best of ways. Look at verse 46 and 47, the end of our passage. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread, this time from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Meaning what? God moved and it worked. God moved through the, the temple proceedings. He moved through the, the meals within the homes. There, there was a contagious nature to God's church. Not just for the unbeliever uh, to be added, but for the current believer to be glad the church lived and served with gladness and sincerity of heart. Participation fueled by anticipation. 
That is what marked God's church. (laughs) The gladness, the sincerity of heart. That was the outside perception, was the gladness and sincerity of heart. I want in. What an incredible culture. How often can, can we say that? That, that we are doing this, especially if we, we serve in the local body. How often can we say that we do it with gladness and sincerity of heart? If Peter, James, and John, and some of the players in this thing in Acts 2, if they were to fly on down here right now and check in, would they recognize what we're doing as what they did? Would they recognize how we are doing it or th- the attitude through which it's done? I think these are questions worth asking as we learn about the historical information in Acts 2. But we know the early church was committed. It was communal, collaborative, and contagious. But there's one thing I'd like to clarify, and and that is Acts as a, a descriptive book of the early church. If this text is descriptive, why do we do it? If Acts is a historical count, why do we do what is in these verses? Have we talked ourselves into a corner here? Are we going to start preaching through Acts and saying, "Eh, we'll do that but not that, we'll do that but not that? Why do we do it? The reason we do these things that are laid out in Acts 42 through 47 is because the New Testament marries the description of Acts with biblical precepts and commands found elsewhere in the New Testament. Meaning, we take Acts at face value, but the grand narrative that Acts belongs to unfolds the faith value. Here are uh, several examples of that. We're gonna fly through a couple of these. I wish we had time to talk through these incredible books, but 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11 says this, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. There are commands now, as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. Three verses later, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. What is that if not fellowship, collaboration? How about Colossians chapter 3? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One chapter later, Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And a personal favorite, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. A few months back, we shared a a video uh, with a handful of students and young professionals uh, from our young adult ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church called Keystone, as they discussed ecclesiology, uh, which is the the study of the church, the literal Greek being the, the called out ones. And there was a a Socratic discussion with with Pastor Mark about what that actually means and looks like. Uh, That conversation actually in its entirety is up on the church's YouTube channel. I encourage you uh, to listen to that uh, because you have every reason to be encouraged, to understand and appreciate what the church is. 
We don't uh, be encouraged just because uh, there are young adults that are making it known in this community that Jesus matters. That's incredible. But that biblical dependency is on the rise in people who want to know more. Biblical dependency is on the rise in people who want to know more about this God. Another example is our, our youth group. I happen to work in both of these ministries and participate. We have a youth group of 7th through 12th graders that is comprised of well over a dozen student ministry leaders that have taken the next step from uh, spectating whatever happens on a Wednesday night to participating in the ministry plan to prepare and deploy dependent disciples in their teen years. That's incredible. Are we doing all those things? Is all that being done uh, just because some pretty cool stuff happened so long ago in Acts? Certainly not. There's also more to come. We are living in Bible times. Did you know there are prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled? There are people that have yet to be rescued from their sin. There are endless opportunities to demonstrate to the world around us that there is more than meets the eye. A true story worth telling that is approaching a wild and wonderful conclusion. Participation fueled by anticipation. And guys, we are 2,000 years closer. There was urgency then. The day is drawing near, but the Spirit is already here. And when that Spirit first arrived, the early church was committed, communal, collaborative, and contagious. But what can we leave with here today? Uh, there are many things, but first off, uh, fellowship matters. Find fellowship. We don't have a sign on, on Middle Road uh, that says Relationship Bible Church. Why? Because we are not capable <laughs> of creating a one-stop shop where you can get right with Jesus only his work on the cross can create that relationship. But fellowship is, is to continue and to continue well. It, it matters. It matters for the church. It answers the question, what next? What then? Fellowship matters to the, the young professional who recently moved to Winchester to take that remote job or the, the early morning commute. Fellowship matters to the person who, who knows God exists but slowly and surely over the years has been disheartened and discouraged to the point where attending a Sunday service has become a nuisance more than a necessity. Fellowship matters to the parents who are showing their kids what being connected or what being disconnected to the body of Christ looks like on a daily basis. Fellowship matters to everyone he has saved because fire is one of the many things we've been saved from. But fellowship is one of the many things we've been saved for. It matters. And we have opportunities to demonstrate godly fellowship. I was a part of one of the, the Light Up the Night events just last week, and it was incredible to see the community respond so well to the hospitality of these events. But before you know it, neighbors were connecting. People were realizing what church was putting it on, and people had so many different connections. Many of you might be in the room today. It's incredible when the church gets to do that. There are encouraging stories each and every time we demonstrate that fellowship matters. Here's the second thing. It's the same God. It's the same God. 
from Acts chapter 2. The same God who supernaturally united an eager group in the Middle East thousands of years ago is the same God at work in your family room. Is he using fire and wind? No. He's using his people and his word to stir us up to love and good deeds. That's biblical. That's biblical awareness. And that has always been the best form of encouragement. The story is true. This is what God does. He has chosen. And that story, that narrative, includes you. Here's the last thing. Not only is it the same God, but He loves you, and He's coming back. You see, the mystery of God has been revealed. Jesus took on the penalty of what happens in our hearts when things don't go our way. I'm referring to that sin nature. Jesus took on the penalty of sin on that cross to establish us into right relationship with God. That we would be brought out of darkness and may be brought into his marvelous light. And the Bible says the word may be brought into his marvelous light. Why? Is it dependent on, on some sort of procedure or performance? No, it's, it's on the belief of Jesus Christ that he did it all. This is the part where, where Mark would be yelling, good night, folks, and Tim would be pacing the floor. Why? Because this is what matters. Jesus did it. Understanding Acts and the Spirit has anything and everything to do with where Jesus is right now. This is the story. You can believe in that Jesus. You don't even have to say a prayer, walk an aisle. You don't have to do anything but understand what's been done. And you get to belong to this Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means you stop belonging to your job. It means you stop belonging to the family who raised you. It means you stop belonging to the things that have happened in your life and you belong to Christ and Christ alone. Folks, you could not help being born a sinner, but you do not have to die one. Jesus paid it all. This is the story. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because the tomb now empty, and it is empty, we get to be a part of it. Will you be a part of it? There's no greater story. A 13-year-old uh, borrowing a, a little golden box from Hollywood pales in comparison to the true story of what Christ has to offer each and every one of us. He doesn't need us for his plan, but he wants us. We've been implicated positively by the Spirit. The age of the Spirit, the fellowship of the King. The author of The Lord of the Rings once wrote through the, the wise eyes of a wizard, uh, I found that it is the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk uh, that keep the darkness at bay. That ended up being true in that story. But this one? There is nothing ordinary about the people of Jesus Christ. There is nothing ordinary about this teaching. There's nothing ordinary about this fellowship, nor this communion, nor this prayer. And that's not because of how we do it, 
but because of the Spirit within us, and ultimately because of who Jesus is. He is all to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity uh, this morning to gather. Thank you for the freedom and privilege it is uh, to, to worship you, uh, to hear true stories from around the globe uh, of, of many blessings, of many hurts and many struggles. God, what a blessing it is to belong to your body, to participate alongside one another, God. And I, I pray that we would uh, participate well as we anticipate well, God, what you are capable of doing. And that is moment by moment with the Spirit, and that is what's to come when your Son returns. God, I pray we would leave here with that energy and that excitement of the early church and that we would be eager, ready, and willing to be obedient to you. I pray we would raise the value of biblical dependency in our homes, biblical dependency in our thoughts, and biblical dependency in our hearts as we grow closer to you each and every day. And it's in Jesus' holy name, amen.